Welcome to the Christian Life Institute and our radio message, The Living Way, with Dr. Katherine Pang, psychologist, author, and teacher. The Living Way brings a message of healing and hope that starts with a desire to live differently, to know Christ more deeply. With exhortation and encouragement, Dr. Peng's teaching is based on both scripture and brain science. We can learn to grow forward in Christ with practical, real ways, living victoriously as overcomers in but not of this world. And now, Dr. Katherine Pang. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Dr. Katherine Pang, and it's so great to share this time together. Welcome to The Living Way, the radio ministry of the Christian Life Institute, and the Christian Life Institute's purpose, to grow Christians forward, to live victoriously as overcomers in, but not of the world, through the hope and healing of Christ. If you miss any of our Saturday evening messages, you can listen to them as podcasts and find a link and more information on our website. As we begin, you may want to grab a Bible and follow along as we share scripture throughout our time together this evening. Our message this evening is titled, Don't Be So Hard on Yourself. Rather, choose to embrace and appropriate compassion, grace, and forgiveness. How many listening can relate to being hard on yourself? Does the phrase, you are your own worst enemy, resonate with you? Let's hear from one of our listeners who emailed us and shared, and I quote, I don't know how not to be hard on myself. Rather, I have to put immense brain power towards not being hard on myself, as it has become second nature at this point in my life and I'm not even 30. I'd like to believe that being hard on myself has led me to numerous accomplishments and countless positive outcomes, but that isn't the case. In reality, what being hard on myself brings me is endless anxiety and questioning of whether or not I'm doing it, whatever it is, right. I want to be compassionate and give myself grace. As I learn to shift, as I have in Module 3, Digestion at CLI, I have found that I can change the pressure and unfair demands I make of myself. If I make a mistake, and thank you CLI for the blog on April 22nd, Mistakes or Opportunities, I don't beat myself up or self-deprecate or condemn myself for not being good enough. Every second I have a choice to make and every second I am now choosing to focus on acceptance and compassion rather than self-loathing, shame, and blame. Thank you, listener, for your vulnerability and authenticity in sharing with us. We invite any of you who are listening to please email us your story snippets so we can share with one another and grow one another forward in the love and acceptance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's take some time to break down the construct of hard on self, self-deprecation, self-loathing, and self-condemnation. What do we mean when we say hard on self? From a psychological perspective, when we use this term, we are referring to the following as examples. Beating yourself up if you make a mistake even a small one, criticizing and continuing to criticize yourself after you have made a mistake or did not get it right or it did not go as you had expected. Key word, by the way, expected, as expectations are killers and set us up. If something goes wrong, you blame yourself and then stay stuck in blame and shame. What do we mean when we say self-deprecation? From a psychological perspective, when we use this term, we are referring to the following as examples. I often analogize self-deprecation to throwing yourself under the bus. It's when you deprecate, express disapproval of yourself to others. You cannot accept a compliment or say something kind about yourself. 
for example, in a conversation with talking about organization at work, you say, I'm the worst at organization. I'm never organized. I always mess it up. Now, you may have organization as a weakness, but did you notice the catastrophizing words? And catastrophizing means assuming the worst or using exaggeration. Examples of catastrophizing are using words such as always and never. These are key indicators. We also self-deprecate when we make ourselves the brunt of a joke or put ourselves down frequently. For example, someone may say, I really like your new hairstyle. And you say, my hair is awful. I'm so bad with choosing hairstyles. The person cannot receive a compliment with putting out a flaw about him or herself. What do we mean when we say self-loathing? From a psychological perspective, when we use this term, we're referring to the following as examples. Self-loathing is a form of self-hatred. The thought and belief that I am never good enough. There is deep-rooted disgust and hatred, which is usually covered in many unhealthy ways, such as expressive anger, criticism of others, a lack of tolerance of others, defensiveness, and so many more. Self-loathing often comes from unresolved trauma and self-blame, feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, dissonance between how you conceptualize, think of yourself, and how you act, behave, express yourself. Finally, what do we mean when we say self-condemnation? From a psychological perspective, when we use this term, we're referring to the following as examples. Self-condemnation is an intense negative judging of oneself that produces an acute attack of judgment on oneself. Self-condemnation is an attack on self and produces feelings of internal disgrace and dishonor. Shame often results in self-condemnation, self-criticism for an act, behavior, or even a thought. All of these, hard on self, self-deprecation, self-loathing, and self-condemnation are forms of self-harm. I know that's a very powerful statement. When we engage in these thoughts and behaviors, we are harming our value, our worth. At the core of these terms is an inward, internal turn to punish oneself or cover the internal pain for what one believes to be a mistake, a wrong decision, embarrassment, foolishness, and any number of other thoughts or behaviors. There are so many origins for these types of destructive tendencies. Some include trauma, perfectionism, hypercritical parenting, fear of failure, imposter syndrome, people-pleasing, codependency, comparisons, fear of rejection, deep insecurity, a deep need for validation and acceptance, intense dissatisfaction with an aspect of oneself, and so many more. These habits, conditioned ways of being, tendencies, propensities, susceptibilities are intensely energy-draining. They hold us captive and entangle us further and further into the power of the flesh. We must learn to distinguish between intentional sin, a mistake, and the fact that we are imperfect, flawed human beings. It's important to note that engaging in these destructive thoughts and behaviors on an ongoing basis, whether frequently or occasionally, is different from acknowledging and owning the wrong. We must acknowledge and confess our sin, grieve our sin, but then embrace the forgiveness and practice the forgiveness which Christ so freely gives us, and then repent, turn away from the sin. We must learn to embrace and appropriate the grace, forgiveness, and compassion of Christ through the Holy Spirit at work within us. So how do we shift from an internal attack on self to a healthy perspective of our flaws and mistakes without ignoring our sin? We have to change our narrative, our internal dialogue. First, 
for those in Christ, we begin with the biblical truth of who we are in Christ. We as Christ followers, as those who profess belief in Jesus Christ and desire to walk with him in greater intimacy, we are called to conform to the image of Christ. We view this transformation as sanctification, which is a progressive work. For example, in Hebrews 10.14, we read, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The idea communicated is that the work of Christ, while complete in our justification, made righteous in the sight of God, results in an ongoing work in our life and ultimately a manifesting and working out of Christ in the Christ follower. John reminds us that the future hope of conformity to Christ's character even now gives increasing moral purity to our lives. In 1 John 3, 2 through 3, we read, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As we grow in holiness, we grow in conformity to the image of Christ, and more and more of the beauty of his character is seen in our lives. Oswald Chambers, in Utmost for His Highest, writes, Sanctification, the impartation of the qualities of Christ, but it is a work in progress. I am, through the Spirit, led to a continuous perfection that will not be complete until the glorification. I pray that the Spirit will have more and more of me, and that I will have less. I pray for the real desire to die to the flesh. Peter makes clear that believers are to pursue holiness, and his language leaves little room for doubt about the need for believers to be dead to who they once were and live now in their new righteousness. 1 Peter 1, 14-16 states, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In these verses, Peter is citing Leviticus, where the word holy is used by God 150 times to require holiness from his people, both personally and in community with others. We clearly are called to be holy as the Lord is holy. We need to choose to make God-honoring choices and allow the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ. As we read in Romans 12, 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I would encourage each of us to identify what we therapeutically and spiritually refer to as truth anchors, the driving foundational values, traits, characteristics that you will choose to hold fast to in choosing how to live Christ in, but not of this world. Often when confronted with challenges, we default to control, self-protectionistic attitudes and behaviors as fear is a powerful force. If we can walk in an intense intentionality that cultivates a spiritual mindfulness about our own tendencies and susceptibilities, we can learn to recognize when we are apt to wander into flesh or self, out and away from the Spirit of Christ in us. In those moments, if we stop, pause, And as we refer to it at the Christian Life Institute, deep dive, and I always use this term therapeutically, it has great value in learning about oneself, which is critically important to becoming free of oneself and the power of our conditioned behaviors, destructive tendencies, and unhealthy ways. If we can pause and stop and take a deep dive, we can make a shift, which is a cognitive behavioral term, 
and as Christ followers, a shift into Christ. We can choose to be imitators of God as beloved children. We can, as we read in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, putting on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice the emphasis in these verses on the words put on. In the blog on April 8th, which you can find on our website, and also on our website, connect with us to receive email notifications when new blogs are posted, we ask the question, what are your comfortable clothes? What's in your closet? In other words, what are you putting on? Changing our internal dialogue, our internal narrative requires changing our choices, particularly our choices as we move from conditioned, entrenched ways of being to a narrative that is grounded in Christ's love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, and compassion. Let's start with putting on compassion. In Isaiah 30:18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. What is Christ-centric compassion? It's not puffing yourself up. It's not making false statements to yourself or about yourself. It's not becoming prideful. Christ-centric compassion is recognizing that when you make a mistake, when you say or do something inappropriate, instead of turning into habits of attacking yourself, turn into the forgiveness and mercy of Christ. Acknowledge and own your mistake or inappropriate action or even sin, but stop at that point and step into 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When the old conditioned ways of thinking come upon you, do not fear. Do not fall into frustration. Do not try and deny or push away those ways. Rather acknowledge their presence. And then shift into the truth of, I can create a new way in Christ. I can make a different choice in Christ. To see how Jesus exemplified this forgiveness and compassion, let's take a moment and visit with the woman at the well. Let's turn to John 4, 7 through 26, and then 39 through 42. And I quote, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is this place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Let's see what we can extract from these verses. First, Jesus is speaking with a Samaritan woman. As a Samaritan, she was likely filled with much self-doubt and feelings of unworthiness. She likely struggled with the choices of her past and may have fallen into traps of self-deprecation and self-condemnation. Jesus is thirsty and asks for a drink, and she is bewildered and perhaps even shocked that he would speak to her and ask something of her. In verse 9, she says to Jesus, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Not only was she a Samaritan, but she was a woman, not valued in the culture of the day. She was likely accustomed to being invisible, not seen, disregarded, and disrespected. Jesus in this moment is breaking tradition, cultural paradigms, and showing compassion. Jesus answered her question by replying in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is interested in her spiritual well-being. He wants her to know the salvific gift of God, him, Jesus the Messiah, as he is the living water. He is the way, the truth, and the life as we read in John fourteen six. In verses 11 through 15, we read, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as he did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. While the woman is focused on the practicalities of drawing water, in response to Jesus' request in verse 7, give me a drink, Jesus is focused on her spiritual condition as we read in verse 14, when Jesus states, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again, 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As the woman, we too are so often lost in the details of the task that we cannot see the truth of the moment. The woman was not only concerned about how to actually satisfy Jesus' request for water, as she had nothing to draw water with, verse 11, but likely was filled with shame over her gender, ethnicity, and as we read in verse 18, her past. As Jesus pointed out, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. The woman's response is remarkable. She does not justify, defend, or explain herself. She does not argue or debate with Jesus. She simply states in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. In identifying and naming Jesus as a prophet, she is implicitly confessing that what Jesus stated was true. She had five husbands, and the man she now has is not her husband. These are the facts of her life. Jesus takes this moment not to lecture her about her life choices. He does not condemn her. He is not distracted by her sin, but focused on her salvation. He says, the hour is coming. The woman's reply in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. The woman was a Samaritan, not a Jew. Yet she knew what had been prophesied. She knew the promises that were foretold by the prophets in Isaiah 53, for example. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals himself to the Samaritan woman, a true depiction of true love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, and compassion. The woman's encounter with Jesus was not one of disgrace, but one of salvific life and hope. The woman did not fall into her own traps of self-loathing, self-deprecation, insecurity, self-pity, victimization, and so many more. She went from Jesus and focused on who he was and what he did, gave her himself. Selfless, merciful, compassionate, unconditional love given by Jesus to what the culture of the day would have said was a nobody. Her testimony was a testimony to the living Christ who does not condemn, but who heals and saves. The woman's testimony produced fruit. The woman's testimony revealed Christ. The woman's testimony allowed others to see and hear and then believe that he indeed is the savior of the world. Christ-centered compassion allows you and I to acknowledge, embrace, accept our choices, our mistakes, our past as fact but it does not hold us prisoner in self-loathing, self-deprecation, and so many other harmful internal narratives. Christ-centered compassion sets us free to look upon ourselves as Jesus looked upon the Samaritan woman. And to mention another, the woman caught in adultery, as we read in John 8, 1 through 10, and particularly 10 and 11, where we read, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. Jesus calls us to compassion, not condemnation. Jesus calls us to forgiveness, not resentment, bitterness, self-harm, and destruction. Take this time to step into his forgiveness and know he will forgive. Ask him for his healing, love, and compassion in your life. Take this time to forgive yourself, whatever shame, regret, pain, hurt, unfairness, and all else that has you captive in any self-destructive ways, lay them at the feet of Jesus. Step into his way and allow him to love you as only he can. Take this time to begin your new Christ-centric narrative of truth, his truth in you. The purpose of the Christian Life Institute is palatable. We all want 
those who profess Christ to taste and see that the Lord is good from Psalm 34, 8, to truly, deeply, intimately, and personally want Christ to be your all in all. We pray this is a time of refreshment and growth. We value your prayers. We value your support. We welcome your stories and your questions. Please visit our website and feel free to send us Nori Stippet, your ideas, your thoughts. Thank you for listening and joining us on The Living Way. And please connect with us, spread the word, and choose Christ above all else. This is Dr. Katherine Pang. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for listening to The Living Way with Dr. Katherine Pang. This program is sponsored by Christian Life Institute. Follow the Christian Life Institute on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. We welcome your stories and questions. Please email us at radio at christianlifeinstitute.com and please visit our website at christianlifeinstitute.com. That's christianlifeinstitute.com. We look forward to growing forward together next week.